Welcome to A Brief Chat. I'm Jason Crane. Today is Thursday, the 15th of August, 2019. I'm really glad you're here. If you're going to listen to this show, you're going to have to deal with the fact that religion is going to come up from time to time. And I get that for many anarchists and many people on the left, religion is a non-starter. But I also know that there are religious anarchists and anarchist religious people, and that those two communities have crossed into one another for as long as those two concepts have existed. I know that there are anarchist religious people because I am one of them, even though, if pressed, I would have a difficult time defining the word religious. For example, I'm a Buddhist, and my religiosity does not in any way hinge on a belief in the supernatural or a belief in any kind of supreme being or a belief in anything I can't really test in some way. And that sounds a lot like atheism, except that I am sitting not three feet away from an altar with a big statue of a person called the Buddha on it. And I pay my respects to it by bowing. I meditate each day. I burn incense at the altar that I have a lot of things that look very overtly religious. For a long time, people have tried to say that Buddhism is a philosophy, not a religion. But I mean, it has priests and nuns and temples and holy books and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, at some point, if you have every single trapping of a religion, you're going to have to admit that you are, in fact, a religion. And in fact, the idea of meditation as a central part of Buddhism is these days primarily a Western thing. It's, it's not the way Buddhism is practiced in many places around the world, and certainly not by the majority of Buddhists, who are Buddhists in the same way I was a Methodist growing up or whatever. You know, it didn't it didn't mean a lot from day to day. It was just the way I identified, and maybe once a week I went somewhere and for a while sat and pretended to think about big things, and sometimes actually did think about big things. But this idea that Buddhism is not in any way a religion, to me, it just doesn't hold water. And so... If I consider myself a Buddhist, which I do, then does that mean I'm also a religious person? And I think in this case, yes, it does. And I would say that I was a religious person long before I became a Buddhist. When I was a kid, I was, as uh, my partner always says, very down with Jesus. I f first met a uh, Franciscan friar when I was a little kid, because he was a friend of my aunt. And I thought, oh, that's amazing. I, I would like to be one of those. And then as I got a little bit older, I wanted to be a priest, and then we switched teams from Catholic to Methodist, and I wanted to be a Methodist minister, and went so far as to audit seminary classes when I was in high school. And then when I was in high school, I met a friend who did not believe in God, and very honestly, it had not occurred to me that that was an option. And so I, too, realized, you know what, I really dig all the fellowship of this whole institution and a lot of the ceremonies I find beautiful and some of the music and that kind of thing, but I don't actually believe in God either. And so I became an atheist, which did not go over well at home, and many years later, it's all fine now, and I think my parents, if anything, have followed me into atheism <laughs> rather than uh, than maintaining their their former faith. And then at some point, I went to Japan, and the first time, you know, I certainly had experiences in Buddhist contexts because Buddhism is, is fairly pervasive throughout Japan. But again, you know, not because people meditate and that kind of thing, but just because there are temples and there are funerals and weddings to be performed and so on and so forth. 
The second time I went to Japan, my first wife bought me a book about Buddhism, and I started to read about it. And then a while later, we moved to Rochester, New York, where there is a very famous Zen center founded by Philip Kaplow, who was one of the key figures in bringing Zen to the United States and into English, which was key. And he wrote a famous book called The Three Pillars of Zen, and he founded this Zen center in Rochester, which is still going to this day. And I started practicing there, and I started sitting every day. And over the years, I've practiced at other Zen centers, even as recently as, as several months ago, uh, right here where I live now. And I still meditate every day. Certainly, there have been breaks in that. But generally speaking, I'm a daily meditator. And I feel a lot of love, for lack of any other description, in my heart for Buddhist teachings and practices. And yet, I find a, a lot of hesitancy on my part to become part of Buddhism as an organization, so to speak, um, to join a formal Sangha. I have tried to do that several times, and I always end up leaving, and my Buddhist practice tends to be very solitary. I've been thinking a lot recently about what kind of Buddhist I am, and I really find that my Buddhism is very informed by my anarchism and vice versa. And I thought an interesting way to illustrate that would be to read two things to you, both of which are pretty short. One of these is Utah Phillips' description of anarchism, and the other is the 10 Buddhist precepts as interpreted by the San Francisco Zen Center. There are a million variations of these precepts, and there are many more than 10, but there's kind of 10 essential ones that more or less remain, if not constant, then at least in the same ballpark across different flavors of Buddhism. So first, let me start with Utah Phillips and his definition of anarchism, which, uh, according to Utah Phillips, he's actually reciting from another person, uh, a wobbly organizer that he knew back in the day. But anyway, it goes like this. If you can agree with me that we will each do our share of the work of our world— if you can agree with me that we will only take what we need and put back what we can, if you and I can agree that we will care for the afflicted, and if you and I will agree not to hurt anybody, and that all the things you can't get from the boss you can't get from the state, if you and I can agree to that, then between us we can begin to build that voluntary combination and get the work of our world done without the boss and without the state. So that's Utah Phillips. A, that's just drop-dead gorgeous, and it sounds way better in his voice. And now here is the San Francisco Zen Center's version of the 10 precepts, and I'm going to cut down the language so I don't just keep repeating the same words. But generally speaking, the very first one says, a disciple of Buddha does not kill, but rather cultivates and encourages life. All the rest of them are in that same format, and I'm just going to reduce them to their essential ideas. So not to kill, but to encourage life, not to take what isn't given, but rather to encourage generosity, not to misuse sexuality, but to encourage honest and caring relationships. Not to lie, but to cultivate truthful communication. Not to intoxicate yourself or others, but to encourage clarity. Not to slander others, but to encourage respectful speech. Not to praise yourself at the expense of others, but to cultivate the ability to abide in your awakened nature and that of others. Not to be possessive, but rather to encourage mutual support. Not to harbor ill will, but to cultivate loving kindness and understanding. And then this 10th one is the most overtly Buddhist of them and probably doesn't apply if you're not a Buddhist, which is not to abuse the three treasures, which are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. In other words, the, the concept of the enlightened being, the path to getting there, and the people who do it together. But those first nine, to me, are very akin 
to those same ideas of anarchism. The idea that we help one another, that we're not greedy, that we use just what we need to use and, and not hoard an excessive amount, that we try to speak well of other people where possible and not to speak ill of them where possible, that we do things that allow us to be who we truly are and to live in that truth. And that to me is such a huge part. In fact, I would say it is the almost the sum total of the path that I am currently on, this this thing I am trying to do, which is to live authentically. It's what this this whole show is about. And I feel that Buddhism, at least more than any other practice that I've encountered, embodies these anarchist ideals in a way I find very moving. I don't need Buddhism to be an anarchist, and I don't need anarchism to be a Buddhist, but I do find that I am a more compassionate anarchist because of Buddhism, and I am a more fiery Buddhist because of anarchism. And in terms of a getting your peanut butter and my chocolate and your chocolate and my peanut butter, that seems like a pretty great mixture. That's all the time I got for today. I'll be back to this topic because this I just find Buddhism and religion and their intersection with activism endlessly fascinating. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to tell you about a book I recently read that also combines these topics, not Buddhism, but uh, religion and Christianity with anarchism. That's it for the show. You can find it at abriefchat.com. You can become a member at patreon.com slash abriefchat. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jason D. Crane. You can send me an email if you'd like to be a guest or you have a response or whatever at jason at abriefchat.com. Thank you so much to everybody who's written these absolutely gorgeous reviews of the show in Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everybody who sent me really beautiful notes about the show. It, I can't tell you how much it means to me. I love you all. A better world is possible. Beep.